Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings in the works of Stephen King. Once, I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel, it all goes round again, and here I am once more, back at the beginning on a new phase of the journey to examine each of the endings of the works of Stephen King, to determine whether or not King deserves his reputation for having an inability to successfully land his endings. The focus of the podcast is going to be to examine the climax, falling action, and resolution of the endings to each of his novels and break it down by character, themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I'm also going to weigh in on whether or not I happen to like the ending. So up first, I'm going to read some... Oh, so first of all, I want to say that I I apologize. I'm a little behind on this particular episode. Um, It's one of the reasons why I um, re-released my reviews of It... Uh, for the first time around um, this episode, I'm going to be reviewing and analyzing the conclusion to it. So leading up to that, I thought that I would get all of my thoughts on it um, in my three-part review of the book, which was uh, definitely uh, for me one of the uh, many goals that I had for myself on the first set on the first um, round of this podcast, and I really enjoyed. Um, the month that I spent in Derry working on that particular episode and whenever I can uh, revisit it, it always uh, brings me back to the early days of the Stephen King cast. Um, and now here I am again, once more talking about it. This time I'm going to be focusing on the, the conclusion to it. Um, the much discussed, much criticized, and I'm one of the critics of, um, well, definitely a part of the ending of it. And what we'll do in this particular episode is discuss whether or not that particular scene brings the entire conclusion down, um, or if it's just a blemish within an otherwise um, perfect ending. So we're going to have that conversation in a little bit. So up first, uh, we have a couple emails that I'm going to read, first of which is from Richard, and this is uh, has some spoilers for If It Bleeds, Stephen King's latest uh, publication of novellas. Having just finished Mr. Harrigan's phone and enjoyed it very much, it reminded me a lot of an old EC Comics-style yarn and a lot of Richard Matheson's short story, Long Distance Call. Did it strike you to be very similar to Gwendy's button box as well? Nice kid gets magical device that can cause deaths but decides in the end to give it up. I wasn't the biggest fan of Gwendy but liked Harrigan a lot more. The relationships between the narrator and his dad was genuinely sweet and Harrigan was an interesting character. We'll listen to the podcast when the other three stories are finished and find out what you thought. Richard, so I I really enjoyed uh, Mr. Harrigan's phone. I didn't make any sort of uh, connection to Gwendy. Um, That one, uh, it just, the synapses didn't fire on that one. I suppose that there, there definitely are some similarities there. Um, speaking of Gwendy, has anyone read the the sequel, um, Gwendy's, is it Feather? Is it something about a feather? I don't know. I, I haven't, I personally haven't read it. Um, but, uh, you know, someone shoot me an email and tell me what you thought. John B., who writes, Discovering and listening to your podcast has been a treat during this troubling time. For the most part, I find myself agreeing with you on most of King's work, but I cannot share your enthusiasm for the title novella of If It Bleeds. After reading The Shining in middle school, I've read all of King's books upon publication with anticipation, but had to force my way through the Bill Hodges trilogy. I don't mind King writing in other genres, but his style of writing, letting the story lead the way without plotting in advance, just doesn't work in the mystery-slash-crime genre. Mr. Mercedes, Finders Keepers, and especially The End of Watch was a chore for me to finish. Then The Outsider was released, and I was really interested in where it was headed. Then Holly Gibney was introduced about 
a third of the way into the story. For the first time, I did something I've never done before, set a King book down without finishing. Enough time has passed, and since it wasn't a feature-length novel, I decided to give Holly another chance in If It Bleeds, and what I found was more of the same. Clichéd characters, you just know that Holly's terrible mom had to be a Trump supporter, and a contrived plot that I'm still shaking my head over. I'm relieved after reading the continuation of the outsider story that I didn't finish the book only to find that the supernatural quote-unquote outsider was responsible. The idea is the same with the evil twin concept straight out of so many bad Lifetime movies. And there's another outsider in If It Bleeds, so basically there's no mystery or suspense. It's just some creature that can transform to look like someone else. Another complaint is that there are so many convenient plot devices. Out of the blue and completely out of character, Barbara Robinson had installed a location bug on Holly's phone so she can conveniently be there when the outsider arrives at the Finder's Keeper's office. But not only that, Barbara's brother Jerome has also installed that same bug on his sister's phone so he can be there too. This is what happens when you don't outline for a crime novel. You have to come up with silly plot devices for your ending. But overall, I give the collection a solid C because while top-notch King, while not top-notch King, the other three stories were enjoyable summer reading with The Life of Chuck, my favorite. Thanks, and you have a constant listener. John. John, thank you for writing in, and I'm glad I'm glad that you did um, because it's important to get opposing uh, viewpoints on the show. Clearly, I, I enjoyed um, If It Bleeds... And I, I see where you're coming from. I don't fully agree, um, but I also don't fully disagree. Um, your points are well taken, and the, the convenient plot uh, contrivances is something that really made me very critical of Mr. Mercedes. Um, so I, I didn't notice them as much in, in this novella, but maybe I wasn't looking as closely. Maybe I was just too uh, wrapped up enjoying the experience, um, and maybe I just didn't have my... Um, my doubt will meter on the way that I did for uh, Mr. Mercedes, but I totally get what you're coming from, and I th- thank you for writing in. Um, but no, I I just happen to enjoy the story. Um, maybe if I took a closer look, maybe it wouldn't um, hold the weight of uh, deeper scrutiny. Maybe I don't know. It's something to look uh, forward to later on down the road. And then we have UK Dave who writes, Hey man, hope you're staying safe in these weird times. I tell you, not even Stephen King could come up with a world like the real world we're all living in right now. So I kind of just wanted to say thank you. I stumbled across your podcast some months ago and listened to the episodes where you speak about the King-based film, then decided to go to the episodes about the original books. Your enthusiasm about all things King has persuaded me to revisit the books. In my teams, I tried them out, but struggled to get into them. But now at the grand old age of 40, I'm trying them again. I'm now a third of a way through it and truly loving it and have to have you to thank. If I hadn't listened to your podcast, I would probably not have tried his books again. So once again, thank you. Here's to all things King, be it Devil Cars, Rabid Dogs, or Micmac Indian Barrel Grounds. Keep up the good work, UK Dave. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. Thank you, everybody else um, and anybody. If if you're listening and you have a few uh, minutes on your hands, feel free to write into stephenkingcast at yahoo.com. Um, because I can't do this by myself, and the more that we're able to share our stories and our thoughts, the stronger our community is. Also, um, this is a big request. If you do have uh, some time on your hands, like I just asked, a um, an iTunes review would really, really help me out. That would be greatly appreciated. So just head on over to iTunes, type up a short review. Um, that would that would be great. Thank you, everybody. Okay. So what I'm going to do now is get into the ending of. It, it being Stephen King's masterpiece. So before, oh, I really start to break it down, um, I just need to get out of the way that the conclusion to this story 
is has a scene that uh, is very disturbing to read um, that seems way out of place and something that I criticize at length in my uh, part three, I believe, of my review of it. So for all of my thoughts on the scene in the sewers with the kids, um, you can listen to part three of my review. Um, so yes, clearly this has to be factored into the conclusion and the ending itself, um, you know, even without it, going back to it, when I was watching it chapter two this past fall and so much of the, the ongoing joke revolved around Stephen King being able to land his endings and criticizing endings that in combination with the, the question of whether or not it was going to be able to land the ending when the ABC miniseries famously failed to do so and cast a shadow on the book's conclusion, which I think is unfair. Um, it made me really think about what my next step was in the podcast. This combined with a lot of conversation that I had heard um, around The Outsider before The Outsider uh, concluded made me realize that maybe I should take a closer look at King's endings. But I do want to say this. ABC TV miniseries aside, sex scene aside in the book, um, and the, my issues with It Chapter 2 aside... I think that's unfair to take all of this and say that and apply it to the book, especially the ABC TV miniseries. Um, because since then, the idea of the spider as a, a revelation um, and the final form of, of it um, seems to be criticized greatly. And I, I, I just have a feeling that if it wasn't displayed ineffectually in the ABC TV miniseries, we wouldn't be having that conversation. I think that the feelings from the original Tim Curry miniseries bled into the book. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But I just feel that that's where a lot of the criticism happens to come from. But I'm going to talk more about the ending. Um, but I want to hear what you have to say about the ending. So these are some, um, some discussion points from um, my Facebook page. Um, so I just asked, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on the ending of it? Stephen writes, I thought Stephen King didn't, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, Kevin writes, I think a lot of the problem people have with the end of it is that it's just very quick. The novel is slow paced for long stretches, huge on background and inner thoughts. Once it is killed, there's a rush to the end. Personally, I think the ending is perfect. It would just be, it would be easy to return of the King, the ending and just keep dragging it out. But King knew that when he got when the monster was done, so was the story. So Bill got his wife to wake up. They all forgot again. They moved on, um, just like the world would eventually move on. Take out that one scene that was near the ending, and It is a perfect book. Kelly writes, I read It at 16, so only a couple years older than the protagonists. I thought the ending was very emotional and absolutely amazing. As I reread it as an adult, I understand why people get upset, but I'm able to tap into the feelings that I had as a kid. I love that book from start to finish. Corey writes, oh boy, I could do without the sewer scene, especially with all the gritty details. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. Okay, everything else I love. The deadlights are terrifying. I love the bittersweet slipping of Mike's memory, um, though it is quite sad. I also have no problems with that ride on silver, though it could be construed as a tad melodramatic if I'm being a bit nitpicky. Overall, it was a fitting ending to a brilliant novel, sewer scene aside. Leandro uh, writes, good ending. The last paragraphs are beautifully written. When King wants to, he can write amazingly. 
Sean writes, didn't love the ending. I appreciate the sense of closure it gives, but feels unnecessary happy, as if meant for a film TV adaptation so viewers would be happy. Um, then Jeff writes the ending to what? Um, so those are the thoughts, your thoughts on the ending of It. As you can see a couple times, the scene um, was referenced, um, and we're going to have to talk about it a little bit. So in order to, to be as clear as possible, when I'm talking about the ending of It, I'm talking from the climax onwards. So this is when the losers confront um, It in its lair. In the 1985 timeline, Bill successfully defeats It using the ritual of Chud. Eddie dies, and the rest of them kill the offspring. They flee the sewers. The following action is that the town is destroyed, nearly destroyed in the storm and the flood, and the resolution is that the characters begin to forget, and Audra awakens from her cursed coma. So I have to ask a couple of questions to see whether or not it uh, meets the criteria for being an objectively good ending. And the first question is this. Does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that are consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, or themes of the book? Okay, so considering that we have seven main characters, a couple villains, one monster told across two timelines, the ending has just about 20 characters to juggle, and each one of them gets some sort of resolution. The titular character's mysteries are peeled back to reveal its final physical form, a spider, which I need to note, again, this is the closest approximation of the form that it could take on this Earth, and its true form, a living universe, uh, is unbelievably wild stuff. Our hero, Bill, who for the entirety of the novel has a mantra of he thrusts his fists against the posts and still insists he sees the ghost, he literalizes that mantra, mantra into fighting the ghosts of his youth. Richie steps up into a leadership role. Eddie, whose childhood was defined by cowardice, becomes the bravest of them all. Ben and Bev, two of the more wounded losers, finally find true love in each other. Bill has the big hero moment. Um, and Mike is uh, relieved of the burden of being uh, the quote-unquote lighthouse keeper. So it, it cannot be overstated how much effort King put into this um, and how much it pays off for our characters. Next question, does it successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? This is a, this is a big book, and there's a lot of plot, and the construction of that plot is incredibly complex. Most non-book fans will be familiar with the recent movie adaptations which chunked the two narratives into their own distinct stories, but that fails to capture the magic act that King performed by crafting a 1,000-page novel comprised of two running plot lines in two different timelines whose narratives rise and falls, cliffhangers and emotional beats all weave in and out of one another, creating a seamless reading experience for the audience. From a plot perspective, it was the most complex story that King had written thus far, and he managed to pay off both timelines simultaneously as we hit the third act. From the 1958 battle with the spider to the 1985 return to its lair, the battle in the deadlights, the death of Eddie, the destruction of the town, the forgetting of the characters, and the awakening of Audra, it's all masterfully done. Of course, there's one scene that we'll talk about in a second that attracts us from an otherwise perfect ending, but there's so much plot that occurs at the end, and despite it being a pretty heavy plane, King lands that sucker smoothly. Does the conclusion serve the themes, symbolism, and motifs? The entire novel is about the horrors of adulthood, and boy, does he capture that. To a child, a clown is scary. To an adult, the enormity of the unknown and death is truly frightening. So for the final form of it to be nothing short of infinity itself, it's an unbelievable and un impossible task to ask our heroes to defeat such a concept. 
And yet they do in what is an incredibly hopeful ending in which our characters are able to move past their childhood trauma, regain the magic of their youths to inspire their adult selves to defeat the boogeyman. Audra's awakening in the end is less of a button for the characters and more of a hopeful resolution to the themes of adulthood. With the childhood boogeyman defeated, Bill is granted a burdenless adulthood and is gifted with the love of his life. In a world that is full of horror, they can now be happy. Question. What is the most famous scene in the novel, and does it appear in the conclusion to the story? The reason I ask this question is because it, it by no means is a requirement for the most famous scene in a book or any story to appear in the conclusion, but it certainly doesn't hurt. I would say the most famous scene is probably the opening scene, the death of Georgie. That's a hell of a hook. But the fight within the two sewers, within the sewers across two timelines, uh, the losers entering the little door, the reveal of the spidal, spider, the battle of, across the macroverse, it, it's all deeply gripping. Okay, uh, are there other factors that we need to consider? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, there is one particular moment that occurs in the conclusion that mars what is otherwise a simultaneously apocalyptic and personal ending, and that's the sewer sex scene that has no business being in this book. Again, um, it's, a, it's a completely misguided uh, component on King's part, and it's a massive error in judgment on the editor's part and the publisher's part to put that through. I know that it was a different time, whatever, but... Um, Still, I don't know how you read this and say, oh, this is beautiful. Um, it's deeply disturbing. It's uncomfortable. It's inappropriate. It's just not great. I don't think it... It, uh, it ruin. I don't think it ruins the book entirely, but it certainly leaves an unwanted stain on it. Um, so, with that said... There's two questions I got to ask. Do I like the ending? And aside from that particular part, yes, the ending is wildly imaginative and it even includes a cosmic turtle. So yes, I like the ending and based on everything that I had just uh, discussed, I, I think that it, it matches up with the themes and the plot um, and the characters very, very well. So yes, it is a good ending. It's a good ending and it's an ending that I happen to like. So that brings our tally to... Me liking 13 out of 13 endings, um, and me acknowledging that 12 out of 13 endings are good so far. Christine being the only one that I could not give a good ending to. So, um, that is my quick little analysis of the conclusion to it. Obviously, those of you who have been listening to Stephen King cast uh, shouldn't be surprised how I feel about the ending of it, much like the rest of it. I'm a big, big fan, and I feel that it is King um, operating on, on all cylinders. Okay, guys, um, before I sign off, I just want to give a couple recommendations for those of you who are twiddling your thumbs during quarantine. Uh, even though states are starting to lift restrictions and open up the economy, I just want to say be careful out there. Um, the virus is still out there. Um, just because we're, we're starting to head back into the world and leave our houses and just don't drop your guard. That's all that I ask. Um, so if you are still, uh, you know, staying in, going a little stir crazy, there's some recommendations for you. The first of which is the book Cosmology of Monsters. I just finished it. it uh, it's a very quick read. It's incredibly well written um, for fans of H.P. Lovecraft. It, it takes the, the concept of of the Lovecraftian 
creatures in the world of um, the hidden world uh, within Lovecraft. But what it does that Lovecraft does not is that it acknowledges that Lovecraft's characters are just ciphers for the reader. They're stuffy academics who don't really have uh, any sort of personality and their only function is to uncover some sort of cosmic horror. Um, And what the author, whose name I completely forgot, um, but I'll find out in a second. Um, But what he does is um, actually craft characters that you you care about. Sean Hamill is his name. Um, So you care about these characters and this particular family that is haunted by a Lovecraftian monster. And I don't mean tentacles. I just mean of something of of the unknown that is inspired by the works of Lovecraft um, throughout the generations. and really, it is an exploration of um, of generational trauma and uh, inherited uh, genes and the passing down of mental illness and the secrets that we withhold from one another, including our family members. Um, so it's, it's it's loaded. It's a loaded, loaded book. And, um, you know, I, I could definitely do an entire episode devoted to it i would need to go back and reread it and really start to break down the themes and and look at it um a little closer to to break apart all the different allegories that are going on but it it was very very gripping it is not entirely action-packed it's very introspective within this particular family um but i strongly recommend it i really enjoyed it um also uh i don't know if i mentioned this Um, but I did a review of, I'm sorry, I did a, a catch up of the Venture Brothers. Um, I, I hadn't watched the, the last season. And so, um, I saw that it was on Hulu and decided to to check out the finals, the, the latest season. If you are a fan of pop culture, if you're a fan of Johnny Quest and comic books and sci-fi and action movies, um, then the Venture Brothers is, is where it's at. It, it skewers while writing a, a, a lovely love letter to so many aspects of pop culture the mythology is so rich and so deep um it's the best superhero uh story you're going to get on television and it happens to be you know in these wonderful 20 minute 25 minute bite-sized packages it's been on for quite some time now it takes a while for um each season to come out but it's definitely a treat so if you have nothing to do hop on hulu and catch up on the venture brothers that show is just great it started out as just a spoof of johnny quest but it evolved into so much more all right guys so that's all i got this week um i hope to be i I did not mean to uh, take as long this week as i did um but i've been really busy uh reading um cosmology of monsters i'm doing an invincible reread um through comiXology um I, I dropped off of of invincible by robert kirkman um a long long time ago and now i want to just you know now that it's over i, I definitely want to go back to the beginning catch up to where i left off and then um finish the journey and it's just so fun for me personally to go back to the summer of 2005 when i first started reading invincible it's bringing back a lot of memories that i'm really really enjoying on top of it i'm also doing a breaking bad rewatch now that i have concluded uh better call saul i wanted to go back to the beginning uh and just keep my one foot uh in the in the new mexico albuquerque um crime scene uh, of this particular vince gilligan world um, and i'm really really enjoying it and one thing is very clear uh is man walt is an asshole 
He's, you know, and that's what makes Better Call Saul such a, uh, you know, dare I say better show, is that you just, your heart really breaks for Jimmy in ways that it doesn't for Walt. Um, because you can, you know, spoiler alert for Breaking Bad, but, um, you know, his, his cancer comes out and he uses it as a shield um, behind which hides his greed and his insecurities. Um, but he's someone that hates his life and he doesn't seem to truly like his family that much. Um, and I'm picking up on the, the second watch. Um, but just in contrast to Better Call Saul, Saul's so much more of a sympathetic character. Um, and it's just, it's, it's so enjoyable to go back to this world, um, knowing where it's going to end up. Um, it doesn't make it any less thrilling. So, I apologize. That's why I, I was a little late um, on getting this episode, because I've been, you know, really engaging in, in a lot of stuff that's currently making me really happy. So, that's what we got to do sometimes, just make ourselves happy. Okay, everyone, have a great week. Stay safe. And maybe have long day. Oh my god, I forgot to mention. Um, I got a new order from Kotet19.net. Guys, if you want some Stephen King apparel, seriously, check it out. Um, my I Survived Captain Trips t shirt is one of my new favorite shirts in my rotation. Um, Matt sells hats now. Um, I'm wearing a, a based on the novel by Stephen King hat. It looks really, really good. I've got face masks over there. So check out um, Kotet19. Net. You will not be disappointed. Okay, so that's all I got. Uh, may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I'll see you here next week where M O O N spells Stephen King cast. Hey.